Good morning, everybody. I uh, have to tell you what a wonderful privilege it is to be here in this uh, chapel, a place that I love and have been in so many times in so many different ways, and uh, how much of a thrill it is for me to have Jessica here as our Dean of the Chapel. Where are you? There you are. And uh, her family with us, and how much that means. Jessica was one of our former students, and uh, it is just an absolute delight, and we're so blessed by you, Jessica. Thank you. So when my wife was principal at the uh, Wilmore Elementary School, one of her first grade teachers had an assignment one day, the middle of fall, we had just finished uh, Halloween and just uh, Thanksgiving was just around the corner. So she said to her little first grade class that afternoon, get out a sheet of paper and your crayons and I'd like for you to draw a picture of a season. It seemed like a no brainer. So she was walking around looking at the projects of each one of the students and here she saw trees with all kinds of beautiful colored leaves. And then on another one, she saw what probably was a turkey. And on another page, she saw big pumpkin, orange, and just almost glowing. And then she got to a little boy's uh, desk and she looked over it and she peered closely and she said, uh, Tommy, that sure is a good, big, fat gray squirrel you're growing there drawing there, but uh, how is it that that's a picture of the season? I want you to draw a picture of, a, of one of the seasons. He said, oh, Mrs. Smith, it is a picture of the season. And she said, well, how do you get that, Tommy? And he says, well, you've got your deer season, you've got your bird season, <laughs> you've got your squirrel season. <laughs> See, those of you from, who are not from Kentucky are, are being schooled into this now. And so then the little boy looked up at her and he said, how old are you, Miss Smith, anyway? And she wasn't about to tell this little first grader how old she was. And so she said, uh, oh, I don't know, Tommy. How old do you think I am? To which he responded, well, I guess you're about 90 years old. <laughs> and she said, well, Tommy, what on earth would make you say that? She was a little dinged in her ego. And so uh, the little guy looked back up at her and he said, because that's when you start forgetting the seasons and how old you are. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're in the middle of a season and we can't quite tell right now what season this is uh, with the temperatures as they are. But anyway, uh, what I'd like for us to do today is to think a little bit about Thanksgiving. Not so much the day of Thanksgiving coming up, but uh, the whole idea of living gratefully having an attitude or a disposition of appreciation. Uh, how can we cultivate that sort of thing? And it's not an easy thing because all of us live in this situation uh, where there's just one thing after the other coming at us and uh, there are always more uh, debts at the end of the month and there is cash in the bank and all of these kinds of things that are such stressful situations. So. How is it that we, in the midst of a world like this and the demands that we face, how can we cultivate uh, a, a, very, a grateful spirit and a grateful heart? That's really the idea of it. A.A. A. A. Milne's book, Winnie the Pooh. Milne has, a, has a Piglet uh, noticed that even though he had a small heart, even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a very large amount of gratitude. 
That's the kind of people we want to be. We may have small hearts, but we would really love for them to be overflowing with gratitude because in our best times, we realize how blessed we really are. Maybe a day when we're celebrating Eucharist like this is a good time for us to focus on this theme since Eucharist means thanksgiving, gratitude. And all of us know that that cluster of words in the Greek are so connected. The words for grace, for gift, joy, and Eucharist. They're all bundled together in proximity. So all of these things together, how can we cultivate a uh, thankful heart? What does it mean to live gratefully? What does it look like? Well, it's more than just learning how to say thank you. And some of us were schooled on that at an early age. I uh, have a mom who is a wonderful, wonderful person. She had a few flaws, but uh, she was a wonderful person. And one of the things my mom was passionate about was that her boys would behave themselves and have good manners. And let me tell you, she had her work cut out for her, okay? And, uh, but learning to say thank you was a given around our place. And uh, she always would ask us, did you say thank you for that? Or say thank you for the whatever it was that somebody had just done for us. So we learned that early on. I uh, will always remember after graduation in high school, how my mother incessantly would ask me that dreaded question, have you written your thank you notes yet? Have you written your thank you notes yet? And I was always filled with this uneasy feeling like, you know, I really don't want to do that. But finally, I gave in and did them for all the wrong reasons. I just didn't want to hear her ask that one more time. <laughs> anyway, gratitude, uh, thankfulness. It's more than just saying thank you, although obviously etiquette is important. We can't take it for granted anymore, and it is baseline for those of us who love God and are called according to His purposes that uh, we should be people who, in fact, do the proper thing, do the right thing, and say thank you when we've received a gift from someone. At any rate, it's more than that. It's more than that. Living gratefully includes that, but it's a lot more. Learning how to live gratefully is all about keeping on growing so that gratitude begins to change from being an external behavior that we engage in for approval or to avoid disapproval in my case. And more and more that capacity is internalized in us so that it becomes a value that we cherish this value of gratefulness and of gratitude. It means that more and more we become persons who live with a profound sense of appreciation for the inexhaustible flow of goodness and beauty into our lives, the pure gifts that are coming to us constantly from such a generous hand as God's. It means growing into persons living with a sense of wonder that comes from knowing that we are recipients of grace upon grace. When I was a student at Wake Forest University uh, in my freshman year, I went with a band of uh, other students to a local nursing home and we would have uh, visitation in the rooms of the residents for the first hour or so. And then we would have a Vesper service 
and all of those who were able to could come to the Vesper service, and the rest of them could listen to it on the uh, intercom system. Uh, they were being held captive uh, to a group of, of uh, semi-trained uh, freshmen in college, so they, it wasn't an easy task for them. But at any rate, uh, one of the things that I did while I was there was I began to visit regularly the room of one particular person. Her name was Mrs. Matthews. I'll never forget her. She was, uh, she was in a very difficult situation. She was blind. She was bedfast. She could not get out of bed. And uh, so her life was so limited. I remember when I first went in to see her the first time, how uncomfortable I felt in her presence. We could not have been more unalike. Here I was, a young man, more or less able-bodied, and here she was trapped in a body such as hers and in conditions that I would have found almost impossible to stay in a bed all day, never to go outside and to smell the fresh air and to see the wind blow through trees and things like that. And uh, because she was blind on top of everything, I, I just couldn't imagine it. But the more I visited her, the more I realized how much she had to give and how little that I had inside of me. Because every time I went in to see her, she was always asking me about how was your week this week? What have you been doing? You know, what have you been studying? And uh, all about the things that were going on in my, my little life. And then uh, she would, uh, after that, uh, be so encouraging of the kinds of directions that I was taking in my life and so forth. And uh, I remember that one of the things that stood out to me the most about her was that she had this amazing sense of joy and peacefulness because she knew that she was being held in the hands of love itself and that God was so present to her. That was the most cherished gift of her life and she lived as if she thought she was royalty in God's sight. That was the way that she approached life. From that point, I knew that I'd been in the presence of something very special. I didn't have a word for it, but later I realized what it means to be in the presence of a very holy person. She was whole in every respect. Mrs. Matthews. Well, God's gifts, God's blessings um, come to us in so many ways, in so many uh, riches that come out to us. And in our scriptures today, we uh, realize some of the ingredients that come into cultivating a disposition of gratitude. Uh, one of the things that stands out to me in this uh, Psalter that we read this morning was the phrase, we are his. Did you notice that? We are his. The Old Testament scripture, that psalm, was probably a song that was sung by people on their way into the temple for a Thanksgiving service, for a, uh, uh, a time to give a thanks offering to God for mercies that he had given to them or for a battle that had been won or whatever. People could have it, uh, this kind of thank offering as a family or it could be as a larger group. But they would come in to give thanks to God. And one of the things that they would then sing over to each other as they listened and as they walked into the sanctuary were these words, shout to the Lord, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. 
Come before him with joyous thongs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. These words in the Psalter are not about gratitude in general or gratitude as a theory, but instead they're very personal. Relationship is the whole context for this psalm, that the God of all creation, the one who made us and whose we are, has bound himself to us and entered into a relationship, a covenant of love with us, in which he said, I will be as a shepherd to you, and you will live before me as my beloved sheep, the sheep of his pasture. We are his. The second phrase that stands out to me that really connects with this whole idea of becoming more grateful in our hearts and having that the disposition of our lives is this phrase, he is good. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, it says, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we will live our lives then as those who are under the watchful care of a shepherd who is good and whose love endures forever and whose faithfulness continues through all the generations. But you can just imagine now how much more those words mean to us than they could have meant to them in those days because we live on this side of the incarnation. Our God became human and lived among us, and as our good shepherd spoke those words to us saying, I know you by name, and I lead you. I go on ahead of you, and you follow me because you hear my voice. He is good. And then the third phrase, this third clue to developing a grateful disposition in our lives is all about coming into his presence with thanksgiving and praise as a, as a pattern of life, as a practice that goes on day after day after day. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and because we are his and he is good, we give thanks to him and praise his name. Ignatius of Loyola wrote about how as soon as we say yes to God's offer of our relationship with himself, that we discover then how he gives so lavishly, endlessly, pouring out gifts of love greater than our hearts could ever fathom. That God's desire, he says, is to give, always excelling our capacity to receive always giving more than we could ever hope to be able to receive. Ignatius lived with that kind of attitude of heart, knowing that every day his life was filled with goodness from God. And he always began his letters to others with the words, May the highest grace of the everlasting love of Christ our Lord ever accompany you and bless you. That was the spirit in which he approached everything. 
Ignatius taught us what he called the prayer of examine, and he made it the centerpiece of his teaching. He used that word examine to describe a way of praying that helps us to weigh things and to realize their relative value. In other words, at the end of the day, when we begin to remember as he taught us, uh, Ignatius taught us, to remember the good that has been a part of the day, and as we rehearse the things that have happened, we are beginning to realize what really matters in our life. What is more important than anything else? And weighing those things in that sense makes that prayer of examine a prayer that holds us to focus on the things that are most valuable of all. In his spiritual exercises, he also taught a variation of the examine, and he called it contemplation for attaining love. It's a good practice, especially for those of us who had a hard time internalizing God's love and grace into our life so that it becomes the core of our being. If this is something that has been a challenge to you, then uh, listen to these instructions that uh, Ignatius gives. He says that uh, it's important for us to, to take the time every day to contemplate from one perspective after another the gifts of God who desires to give himself, as Ignatius put it, who desires to give himself to me as much as he can. And he says that as we hold each of those gifts that have come to us during the course of the day, we don't simply take a look at them and put them aside as if just tabulating a list, but we take each one of them and hold it before us and enter imaginatively into what it was that happened during the course of the day that surrounded that experience and allow it to affect us in our affect, in our inmost heart, so that we are genuinely touched by the recognition of how good a gift this was that we have received from God. And he teaches us then to take one thing after the other in the things that have come as blessings and experiences of God's goodness and kindness and to attend to them in that kind of caring way. And he says that uh, before long we are just so touched by the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness that our hearts will daily be filled with gratitude. Well, all of us know that uh, sometimes those kinds of rehearsals have a way of helping us deal with anxieties. There was a book written called Sleeping with Bread by Matthew, Denny, and Sheila Lynn, brothers and sisters. And they wrote this book about the prayer of examine, and they explained the title of their little book this way, that during the bombing raids of World War II, thousands of children were orphaned and left to starve. The fortunate ones were rescued and placed in refugee camps where they received food and good care. But many of these children had lost so much they could not sleep at night. They feared waking up to find themselves once again homeless and without food. Nothing seemed to reassure them until finally someone hit on the idea of giving each child a piece of bread to hold at bedtime. Holding their bread, these children could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded them, the day I eat, 
and tomorrow I will also. Well, the prayer of examine, they said, is like that. It's like sleeping with bread. We rehearse in the night the goodness of God to us throughout the day. And we sleep with that bread because we know that God is faithful and goodness will follow us tomorrow as well. And we gain strength. I had to learn this personally during a season of my life that was particularly challenging from 2007 till about 2011. Uh, I had a series of health crises. I'd been a very healthy person all my life, so it took me by total surprise when uh, the first knockdown came and uh, I had to have a big surgery and spent a lot of time recovering and going through physical therapy and so forth. And I thought, well, I'm done with that. And so ready for the next chapter. And lo and behold, for the next four years in succession, four years in a row, I had a different health crisis that resulted in more surgeries, more rehabilitations, more time away from work, you know, just one thing after the other. I got a little bit discouraged. My wife could see this. She's a good reader of my soul. And I will always be indebted to Joe for what she said to me. She said in the middle of one of those dark periods, she says, why don't you keep a list every night of the good things that you have experienced during that day? The signs of uh, progress that have been made or the blessings that have come to you from, you know, from whatever source. Just make a little list before you go to bed and uh, let that just sleep on it uh, each night. Well, I began that practice, and I have to say that that little practice became tremendously important to me. It didn't happen overnight, but over time, it began to have a kind of compounding effect in my life. As I rehearsed God's goodness during the day, maybe it was a get well card from a friend, and I opened it and read the sentiment to it, and I took it to heart, and I read the note from a friend who had sent it. Or maybe it was that I had a chance to walk just a step or two further today than I did the day before, and that was something of a real victory. Or maybe during lunchtime I was able to sit on the deck and be able to enjoy sunshine on my face and shoulders just for a change and getting out of, a, out of the, out of the uh, bedroom. Uh, those little gifts became huge, and I kept my list day by day. And the experience of that, the experience of that was that it gave me a sense, really, of sleeping with bread, that God is faithful and that God is good. If we have only one prayer to pray in our lifetime, wrote Meister Eckhart, the words, thank you, would be sufficient. If we had only one prayer that we could say in our lifetime, the words thank you would be sufficient. That's so true, but it doesn't stop there, does it? It's one more thing. The thing about cultivating a grateful disposition from the people who have such that I have been privileged to know is that it tends to overflow from their hearts to the hearts of others overflow in expressions of kindness, goodness, and generosity. It leads to sharing with others. You see it in Zacchaeus, who acknowledges his gratitude to Jesus for stopping and looking into the tree where he had perched in order to get a good view for the parade. And Jesus gave him such a gift as he never had expected. So today, salvation has come to this house. 
And Zacchaeus was so overcome with gratitude that he promised that he would that he would pay back all those whom he had defrauded and that half of his goods he would give to those who were poor. The Samaritan woman who had experienced Jesus' profound love for her wanted to spend her life sharing about it with others. The Gerasene demoniac, once he was healed, wanted to go with Jesus and be a part of the healing team, the healing ministry of Jesus to others. And Jesus had him stay where he was and be such an example to those in his own community. But the whole idea is, this is the sequence. Grace is given, and we receive it. Gratitude is expressed, and then goodness is extended to others. We see this in this community so much. Uh, what sharing goes on here in this place, no one will ever know, because so much of it is done anonymously. There's no one here in this community who's wealthy in, this, in, our, uh, in our seminary. Everybody here seems to be on a shoestring budget. But whenever there's a need, there's an outpouring of sharing. If it's food to take to the person's house, if it's a ride to the doctor a person needs, if it's money that we sacrificially, that somebody sacrificially gives out of their own meager allowance to help someone else, Anyway, it accumulates into an abundance of giving. Grace is extended. Grace is extended because grace has been received with such gratitude, and it's now been turned into a gift that can be shared with someone else. And this is the way God has chosen to work in His kingdom. Grace overflows. God uses us as bearers of blessings to others, right? He wants us to be sharers of goodness in the kingdom. And by that, we are all made stronger. My dad has all, had Alzheimer's, and his abilities had been diminishing uh, month by month. And each trip we went down to North Carolina to visit, we could see the toll that that uh, condition was taking on him. But when we went home for Thanksgiving one year, his debilitation was so evident, and it was heartbreaking. Dad was no longer able to communicate with us. When he tried to speak, we really couldn't understand. That night, we were all gathered around the dining room table, a table that had so many memories, so many nights there growing up, nights before football games or before dates or whatever, just so many memories at that table with my brother and I. And here we were with our families and with mom and dad. And I'll never forget, mom says as habitually and naturally as ever, Clarence, to my dad, why don't you say the blessing? And I thought to myself, oh, mom, don't you know, he can't do this. And that awkward silence suddenly changed because dad began to reach down from somewhere in his spirit and he began to pray words of eloquence. In fact, they were so dear that as soon as the prayer was over, I got out a scrap of paper and wrote down everything I could remember because I never wanted to forget it. But he prayed something like this. Dear God, we're so thankful to be here tonight. We're thankful for all of your gifts. We're thankful that each other could be here. Dear Lord, we do not know what this year holds for us. 
but we know that we will make it because of your strength which we will receive through one another's love. Your strength which we will receive through one another's love. That's the way the kingdom moves. God blesses with his abundance through the gifts that he challenges and calls forth from us. Out of our gratitude, we become bearers of blessing to others by the words we speak, by the things that we do. And so whatever happens, we know here that he'll see us through because he is faithful and because we will receive his strength through one another's love in this community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.